0: Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brand. In this episode, we're discussing SST-251, the Zoog's Rift Torment album. And it is a bit of torment to get through this record, I would say, because there's multiple versions of it. Yeah. And I would never accuse zoogs of being an accessible artist but this may be one of his least accessible groupings of recordings together in fact it's it's interesting because of some of the the craziness of course yep uh, but we always appreciate getting into a zoogs record for multiple levels just the uh, the cynicism the musicianship the uh, the creativity the artistry just the Does not give a dang about anything else of it and uh, can't wait to get into it with you. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. Before we do that, though, we've got a mega Mojack mailbag spiel this week. We've got a backlog of stuff that people have sent us that we've got to talk about.
1: Yeah, it's a big backlog. Some of this goes back like a year. Really? Yeah, it's pretty bad. We've been slacking.
0: I didn't realize it goes back that long. That's maybe just how long it's taken for you to send it to me yeah is that it yeah, yeah. Oh, okay okay yeah all right well anyways in no particular order why don't I just list them off and we'll uh, we'll spiel about all this cool stuff that people sent us sure. and there's a lot there's a lot so the first one we should spiel about is a package we got from Bob Bierman from yeah. pellmell yeah. hey yeah like that's wild Wow
1: Yeah, super thoughtful package from Bob. Um, We each got an original copy of the Pell-Mell Rhyming Guitars EP, which was self-released by the band in 1981. We talked about it when we covered the SST reissue of it on episode 241 with Bill Owen as a guest. Yeah, And we also had Bob on as a guest for episode 158, The Bumper Crop. And, a little bit of a teaser, I Can't Wait for episode 278, Flow. I'll tell you, if you're a fan of this EP... And and all you've heard is the SST reissue. You really should source a copy of the original. You definitely hear it differently. You can hear the remix. I would yeah. say, yep, um, it's definitely worth picking up. And it, it's not that difficult to find, really, on Discogs,
0: anyways. No, and it's not outrageously priced either, which is which is odd for like an original kind of private press. EP for a band that had quite the history. Yeah. And sp- speaking of the Bob Bierman package, he also sent us a Steve Fisk and Bob Bierman record.
1: Yeah, the project was called Cutout. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it at some point, maybe when Steve was on the show. Yeah. Uh, it came out in 2003 on San Francisco label Starlight Furniture Company. And it's called Interlude with Fun Machine. Like you said, the project is called Cut Out. That label um, also reissued the mell. It was a live cassette release from 1982. On CD. On CD, yeah, uh, and a few Lee yep. Rinaldo albums and some other interesting stuff. Um, the promo for this record says, "Warm organ cor- chords are the foundation of instrumentals with a deadpan kraut rock undercurrent."
0: Yeah, for me. It was a really interesting listen, and of course, not totally surprising, knowing the Pell-Mell work and Steve Fisk's work, Yeah, it really sounded to me like the perfect soundtrack for a Wes Anderson movie. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah. just the perfect soundtrack. No offense to Mark Mothersbaugh, of course, but yeah. this record would be perfect for a Wes Anderson
1: movie. Yeah, I checked. It's up on Bandcamp, so um, people can and should check it out. And hey, thanks, Bob. That might be the coolest package anyone has sent
0: us. Yeah, an original press of something like that. So cool. All right. Well, again, in no particular order, we should talk about this band, Out of Trust. Yeah. We got a package from John, and John started this label to release this record by this band, Out of Trust. The label is Find Away Records, John Gutierrez. He sent a note, and here's what John said. Brant and Ryan, listening to Blasting Concept Volume 2 while writing this. Hope you enjoy listening to the first Find Findaway Records release. The pod has been inspiring. Keep up the good work. And John also sent, like, some stickers. He sent this zine, Unearthed Skateboarding Zine, Issue 14, Summer 22. And it has, uh, like, TSOL. In this zine, which is super cool. The band out of trust, he sent a red vinyl copy of that, which is very cool. This band I quite liked, and you would like them too if you're a fan of like Dag Nasty. That's that's probably the band that uh really came to my mind. I think these guys do a heck of a job at playing this type of music. Um, if you love Dag Nasty, if you like anything, Dave Smalley too, probably you'd like this, but it is kind of a modern melodic punk hardcore record. You should check it out again on find away records.
1: Yeah. We haven't talked a ton about Oxnard, California bands or the nardcore scene, but every time we do mention a band, we get mail listeners like Chris Faxon, hipping me to some great bands. Most of them I've heard of, but never really dove into like Stalag 13, ill repute, aggression, uh, who he calls Oxnard's flagship band aggression. Um, and then when we did talk about about Oxnard, that's when John reached out. Um, we've heard from John before, mainly, um, he's helped us out with some press kits. He's got his, he's got his Instagram unearth skateboarding, which we've talked about on the show before he told me, out of Trust was the first band I saw coming out of the pandemic. I took a day off work and decided to drive down to Camarillo, just outside of Oxnard, and yes, like the Fear song, to see them play at a random pizza place. Just as you would expect, at a punk show, there was pizza on the floor as a poor <laughs> girl working there got her order knocked out of her hand trying to walk across the venue. Ah. Oh. Out of, it. out of trust features former members of the late 90s iteration of ill repute and have a sound that fans of Dag Nasty and Hoosker Du would like.
0: Yeah, it's killer.
1: Yeah. Check it out. FindawayLabel.com.
0: All right. Yeah, thanks, John, for that one. That was a that was a real good listen for me. Speaking of a good listen, interested to hear what you thought of this band, Brandt. I uh, the three the three records that were sent, uh, one of them I really, really liked this is a package from storm ross so storm ross sent us this uh package of music uh the band is storm ross um it's like his combo and then storm ross is also part of another combo called the myriad ones storm sent the meridian cassette the myriad ones the hardest part cassette and then also a copy of the vinyl release of the Storm Ross Welcome Sunshine record from 2016. And here's the here's the note from Storm in the package. Hey, Brent and Ryan, thanks for checking out my music. You will find a couple of copies of the cassettes I mentioned in my email. That would have been to you. Also, a couple of vinyl copies of my 2016 album because why not hope you dig Storm? And I did dig. I would say that the 2016 Welcome Sunshine Storm Ross record. Not quite as advanced as the one that I really liked, which was the Meridian cassette. They had, I would say, really come into their own by the time of this Meridian cassette. Really liked it. And it's also on the S.S. Tree somewhat in that uh, this Storm Ross cassette and the Myriad Ones cassette, both of these cassettes are on already dead tapes, that label that also puts out Royal Arctic Institute cassettes.
1: Yes. Storm is a guitarist out of Burlington, Ontario, originally from Michigan. So already dead tapes and records. We probably mentioned them when we we talked about Lyle's project. Yeah. I spent about an hour just checking stuff out on on the Bandcamp um, page. There's definitely stuff I want to dig into further. It's mostly avant-garde music good place to start is maybe a a comp called honk if you're already dead which has a lot of the artists from the label on it yeah the meridian is his fourth release on the label killer band they're all apparently uh, music professors at the university of
0: michigan it doesn't surprise me that was that's the one that i just loved great intro zappa-esque avant-garde with sax just loved that cassette
1: yeah it's kind of jazz punk with some some killer sax uh, also it gets a bit ambient and experimental um, storm can really shred when he wants to yeah um he sent 2016's welcome sunshine on yellow wax um satellite records but also already dead on cassette that's also up on their bandcamp it's really cool proggy there's actually some henry kaiserisms
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 For sure. I. But I felt like the Meridian was just like it really reflected that it was, the the band was more advanced on that one. I I thought Welcome Sunshine was great, but the Meridian just sounds like fully formed. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Check out the song You Will End on the, on the Yellow Sunshine record and tell me Storm wasn't influenced by Henry Kaiser.
0: Mm, yeah. What about the myriad ones too? Hey, different, different. Female vocals on some tracks, noisy, spacey, also a cool combo.
1: Yeah, I, I gather it's a bit of an already dead supergroup. It's mainly Storm and this dude, Bob Bucko Jr., who has all kinds of releases on the label. Um, this myriad ones is kind of experimental post-punk. It's really good. Uh, get into Storm Ross and already dead. There's lots to check out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I missed the, uh, the last Royal Arctic Institute cassette sold out by the time I had to order it, mm. which is uh, too bad. Yeah. Uh, next package we got was from a listener named Nicholas Papador. And for this, this was a wild package, yeah. I have to admit. <laughs> like, this is wild. And again, you, you would know more um, having, having corresponded directly with Nicholas. But I got to say, this package, maybe not the single. But the uh, the two albums, they really fit a Zoog's rift episode. yeah good I, point. I, I, yeah. yeah, they totally these are like perfect for this episode. So uh, one
1: record well is, it, lyrically maybe the single <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah true true. Okay, well let me let me give you the my theory of the case here in terms of the Zoog's uh, relevance. So Nicholas sent us three recordings, one, by this combo called the Marassa Duo 2019. It's, it's a percussion album, mainly, uh, there is some vocals on it. He also sent another one called Marimba collage. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about that. This one was from, um, 2022, but he also sent this band that he was the drummer for this like punk band called urine analysis on these yellow vinyl singles. And these are, I guess what you're getting at lyrically in terms of it being related to zoogs. Um, this is a Gresham, Oregon band from 1989 total, like, I don't know, teenage hijinks, punk rock. Sounds like it was recorded on a four track in the best way. Yeah. Um, but it's a little, it's a little obnoxious,
1: super DIY, like hand folded insert, hand numbered run of 200. Yeah. Um, Totally made me think of like my punk band from that same era around it. 1988 dog breath. That's exactly dog. the kind of stuff we would have.
0: Yeah. We would have done. So it's cool. Check out urine analysis. Um, that the band name gives you a good sense of what the, uh, the songs are about as well. Look, but- look,
1: looks like Nick wrote all four songs and, um, you think he's the drummer? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was maybe Vomit Master, the guitarist.
0: Oh, eh, I don't think so. When you look at the credits, he's Nico, I think.
1: Okay. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think he's Nico.
1: The cool thing about the single is um, it was pressed and mastered by Fred Cole on his Tombstone label.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Rest
1: in peace. Yeah. In his message to me, Nick called called it infantile. (laughs) Yes. And it is. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But it's super cool too.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and again, part of the reason I think that Nick is the drummer in that band because fast forward a couple of decades, and then you have Nicholas in these combos, the Marassa Duo and this Marimba Collage record, um, which is Nicholas Papador and the University of Windsor percussion ensemble. Lots of great percussion on both of these records. You really have to like be a big fan of percussion it made me think of our old drummer mike brandt yeah yeah. like like he would love this stuff totally just like it also reminded me of in kind of a random way of like dale crover and his combo hue time which is just a record of drummers playing um so i thought like you know nicholas could totally jam with dale dale crover i bet but lots of percussion on here totally fits some of the tasty percussive elements that you'll hear on this Zoog's Rift record. I would say Marassa Duo is also a totally different vibe than the Marimba collage record. That one's got a lot of uh, cool like layering and stuff like that. Not, Not like something that I would typically listen to, to be honest, but I bet you if you were at the University of Windsor and you got to sit in the auditorium, and listen to this live, the uh, the acoustics would be amazing.
1: Yeah, so Nicholas is uh, another US expat living in Canada. Like you mentioned, Windsor, Ontario to be exact. He, um, he's a music professor at the university. Uh, this Marissa duo, it's their second album from 2019. It's on streaming and Bandcamp also, so people can check it out. It's he and James Armstrong playing vibes, marimba, and various percussion instruments like you said, not the kind of thing I would necessarily seek out on my own, but I, I found it a nice relaxing listen. I I have a hundred disc player in my living room and I I threw it in there and the family and I were totally grooving to it at the, at the dinner table.
0: Yeah, that's different. Hey, it's just like not something that I would seek out either, but a really welcome surprise, I would say for sure.
1: Yeah. This other thing, the Nicholas Papador and the university of Windsor percussion ensemble It's super impressive. You can see some of the performances, uh, on his website, which you can find easily enough by Googling his name. He's come a long way from singing about Hershey squirts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In urine analysis. Yeah. Yeah. But who among us didn't have an obnoxious teenage punk rock band? Hey. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, Brandt. Yep. Another interesting thing he sent over
1: was a few links to this Bandcamp page called PRF Monthly. Uh, it's a tribute series. It's mainly Chicago musicians, and they pick a different artist each month and submit co- like cover versions. And then this group of all of them, they vote on their favorite, and the winner picks the next month's artist that they're all going to cover. Mm. Super cool idea uh, and some really fun stuff. Uh, they've covered, they've done like tribute albums. I guess you could call it. Like this is all on Bandcamp, but they've done uh, one to Dinosaur Junior, one to Sloan, a Beastie Boys ones, a, Neil, oh. a couple Neil Young ones, a, a Beefheart one, a Sabbath one, Sonic Youth replacements, The Fall, Husker Du. There's even a Weird Al covers album. Wow. And Nick, uh, Nicholas has done, has contributed to this as well. Um, lot I you know I this is pr- there's probably some pretty well-known Chicago musicians involved in this but a lot of them make up funny names for their bands kind of related to the to the artists they're covering
0: well I'm sure we're not doing you justice on this Nicholas but a very welcome package and uh, we're we're always pumped to have someone so creative who's still making music as a fan of the show too so just love that yeah check out that um, PRF
1: Monthly tribute series. Yeah,
0: I, mean, I I didn't know about that. I'm on it. It's yeah. I I just wrote it down. Okay, uh, next band of uh, someone who sent us some stuff. Are you a cop? Is yeah. the band? Are you a cop? And it's on the SS tree. Yep. you know, yet another one that's on the SS tree here. Um, the drummer Gregory Moore was in Get Me High. He played on the Black Flag What the record. He played on several. Gone Records um, that we'll get to eventually on the show. He was in El Bad. He was in Good For You. Many, many Greg Ginn records. Gregory Moore was on and he has this combo. Are You A Cop? The two records I checked out anyways on Bandcamp, Good Times and California. Just I'm going to call it like mildly obnoxious punk rock and roll. And uh, when you hear These records, you can see why someone like Gregory would end up playing with Greg Ginn as well, because he's got the chops.
1: Yeah, so uh, the band is Ash Mullen, also on guitar and and vocals, and Jonathan Picar on bass and vocals, Um, and I think they switch instruments as well. They both play guitar and bass on the records, and maybe they switch it up live too. Jonathan worked at SST circa 2000 to 2006, so... Hopefully we'll have both of these dudes on the show at some point, Jonathan and and Gregory. Um, Maybe they even know Mojack. Who
0: knows? Yeah. Hey, I forgot to mention too, like Gregory's on a bunch of Greg Ginn solo records too. He's all over the place eventually on uh, SST and Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, Are You a Cop? We got their 12-inch EP
1: from 2008 called California and their full length from 2021 called Good Times. There are other releases, there like Ryan said they're up on Bandcamp and they're streaming. I don't really know how to de- how to describe them. Definitely sounds like something on the SS tree. Yeah. Um it's rock and funky, weird, catchy, jazzy, super eclectic but really cool. Check out Are You a Cop. Yeah. Um they sound like they would be super fun live.
0: Yeah, I had a similar thought, totally. Like I I don't really know this era of Greg Ginn's work that well that we're going to be getting into in the next five, six years together. So, uh, really pumped to look into that and, uh, cool that we've got a connection with Gregory already on that.
1: Yeah. Hey, and the, the, Ca- um, California 12 inch has a hype sticker on it and there's a quote from Greg Ginn on it. What does it say? I hate to write about music, but if I had to, I'd write about, are you a cop? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty perfect, actually. Yeah. Uh, all right, we still have more to go. The next one I want to mention is by the band Organs. Now, we've mentioned Organs a, a ton of times on the show. Um, this is the re- and they're on the SS tree because, of course, there's at least one, maybe two, releases by Organs where Mike Watt guests on them. Uh, this one is called Live at Downpatrick, and it's a a three song CD. Recorded live at St. Patrick's Square, down Patrick, between 12 and 12.30 on the 6th of August 2022. And as with other organs releases, it's jammy, avant-garde, spacey, saxy, cool music, gets in a good groove. Um, It's kind of like a modern version of Paper Bag almost to me sometimes. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, liberal use of woodblock and sitar on this, (laughs) on this release, which I quite like. Um, but we always appreciate the, the folks from Oregon's kind of hipping us to a new release and, uh, dig checking out their crazy, uh, you know, made up on the spot stuff. And this is no exception. Yeah. Did you mention that they're an Irish band? Uh, no, I didn't, but we have in the past. Good call out though. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And I mean, when Ryan says it's three songs, like these are long songs, they're jams, right? So like, um, and there's a new live one too, live at the black box, total scrunk fest, obviously live is their comfort zone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But don't you think like carrying on the tradition of paper bag almost like, would you agree?
1: Yeah. Well, it's improvised, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And One of the final ones that I have to mention here is a rock doc that was sent to us, Brandt, called Pub the Movie. Remember that one? I do. Remember? I do remember. (laughs) Yeah. Sent to us by uh, Brett Garten and Jonathan Sequeira. It's about the Melbourne, Australia punk rock singer and cartoonist Fred Negro. He's a singer in... I spit on your gravy and Brady Bunch lawnmower massacre, probably his two most well-known combos, at least, you know, I'm going to say in North America, he's definitely way better known in, uh, in Australia. And this, um, this documentary is, uh, looking to, you know, to, to change that. I would say he's an underground cartoonist where he was documenting, you know, the, the, the scene, the punk rock scene in his weekly pub strip is what it was called. Um, and this documentary was made by,, uh, as I said, Brett and Jonathan, same folks who made the Radio Birdman documentary descent into the Maelstrom and also the hard Ons documentary, which I didn't know about. um, but I can't wait to see when I can get access to it, yeah, we should mention this was also
1: directed by Andrew Leovold. Um Jonathan and uh, Brett co-produced it. So, like, you know, you and I both listen to a lot of Australian music. Um, but like, I have to be honest, I wasn't, I just knew the names, especially I spit on your gravy.
0: Me too. That's the one I knew really, but that's about it.
1: Yeah. But like the tunes are really good too, man. Like Fred's (laughs) bands, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It looks like it was quite the scene, but he was, he was a centerpiece for sure. And, you know, definitely, um, some, uh, controversial and boundaries pushing artwork, but he's a real great artist, really great. And also I would say his pub strip would, uh, be great liner notes for a zug's Rift album. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and I mean, like he's still around, like he's it, Yeah, you know, he's in the, in the documentary and he's kind of come full circle. He's starting to get some re- respect as a legit artist. He's kind of Kind of like the Raymond Pettibone of the scene in the sense that he mm. designed flyers for like every band.
0: Every band, yeah,
1: totally. I, well, I guess Raymond didn't really branch out m- too much past Black Flag, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like super connected to a scene, I guess. For sure. Yeah. I don't know. I a lot of the bands in and around the scene, I I know really well, but Fred, not so much. It, But watching this made me want to rewatch the Cosmic Psychos doc
0: too. Oh yeah. I've not seen that one. Where did you get that one?
1: Uh, I have it on DVD. I don't, okay. I don't know where I bought it, probably on Amazon or something.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the psychos, which I know you don't like about me, but, <laughs> but I bet you that's a great documentary. Yeah, it is really good. I only have one more to mention Brandt and it was uh, a Moljack mailbag from you. Oh, to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Remember? I do. Yeah, because you went to that punk rock museum and you bought me a bunch of prezzies. Yeah, so thanks again for that, by the way. Yeah. But it ca- it came as part of my MoJack mailbag. You got me a punxel. Yep, the HR punxel, five hundred piece puzzle experience. It comes with a poster, a pin, a bunch of stickers. We got that PMA. I. It's too bad they didn't say like we've got that, like puzzle mental attitude or something on it. You know, we got that PMA, but super pumped. To do that my wife loves puzzles she probably won't like doing this one with me but too bad so sad. Well, it's
1: only 500 pieces so
0: yeah right uh cool stickers and postcards thank you for that you also got me this sweet book that i didn't have everybody's seen the story of connecticut's anthrax club by chris daly uh, i don't know how this one escaped me it's on butter goose press and it's from 2009 but that was a, a great snag thank you for that yeah, I haven't
1: read my copy yet. I, I grabbed one for myself too.
0: Yeah. Have you that's cool. have you read it yet? No, not yet. Not yet. No, I've uh I mean it's go, it's on the pile. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I've stopped, I've stopped to read it. Yeah. Um I'm trying to get through my uh I'm reading a Terry Chimes and a Butthole Surfers book right now. And once I get to both of those, maybe this one will be next. Who knows? Oh yeah. I bought um, the I bought myself
1: Texas is the reason, the photo book too.
0: Oh yeah, well, that's there, killer! Hey, did it before. Yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. killer. You hauled that back in your yeah. uh, in your luggage? Wow, good for you, man! Yeah. Um, and I should also mention, in Brandt's never-ending journey to convert me to Hanoi Rocks, he also sent me a uh, as part of my Mojack mailbag from Brandt, a Fuji Film CDR Best of Hanoi Rocks <laughs> with you know handwritten Sharpie. Excellent. 80 minutes, 700 megabytes, CDR. Yep. Good, good quality, good quality. It says, the best of Hanoi rocks, play loud. And so I listened to it. Yep. And I did, I did. I didn't, unfortunately, I think I let Brant down when he learned that, uh, after driving for like 20 hours last week, I didn't have it with me in the car. <laughs> um, but I have listened to it and here's what I'll say. I don't think I'm ever going to be a Hanoi rocks fan. Yeah. I don't think they're as hair metal as I maybe thought they were.
1: <laughs> but I'll, take, are, I'll
0: take that as a win. Yeah. But there are some good tracks on here that I I definitely would not have stumbled across or taken the time to listen to just by doing like random YouTube searching. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's definitely uh, got me a, a better appreciation. Um, I didn't know that Green Day covered boulevard of broken dreams for example like that song by hanoi rocks no they don't they just have a song with the same name but that is one of the best songs in here i really like that track like i would i would be looking for the record that that is on you know and and maybe check that out that was definitely a highlight for me there are a few on here lightning bar blues yeah um so I get it. I get it. I'm not sure. I will admit there were some, there were some songs that kind of sounded Motley Crue to me. Like, is that unfair? I just, I can't do crew and they kind of sound Motley Crue-ish to me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well,
1: that's not, I mean, what era of Motley Crue? Because if we're talking too fast for love, then that's not an insult because that album rules. So
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, our buddy Graham, I was asking him, he was over here yesterday and I was asking him about H- Hanoi Rocks. And I'm like, do you, do you do Hanoi? And he's like, oh, hell yeah, I do Hanoi. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, so it might be me. I've been missing out. Maybe you started to, uh, you've you've kind of created the thin edge of the wedge for me. How about that? Okay, well, it's a start. I'll keep grinding away. <laughs> yeah. But I will say the absolute highlight is probably my first comp CD in over a decade from Brandt. All so, right, well, next, so, n- next so, stop, so, Junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way. You've sent me, like, you'll send me, uh like, the odd Junkyard link for, a like, a, a really cool video, and you're like, you cannot deny this. And I look at it, and I'm like, it's good, man, but. I can deny it. Well, no, no, I'm not, see, here's the thing. I don't think I'm really denying it for Junkyard. It's just that. And it's kind of like Hanoi Rocks. I have music like that that I listen to, and I don't need more. I need more of other stuff that I like a bit more. That's kind of where I'm at, you know? I only yeah. have so much bandwidth. Okay. Anyways, big appreciation, big thanks for uh, for sending me that sweet Mojack mailbag from you and a custom best of CD. Love it. Yeah,
1: and thanks to everybody who sent stuff into us. We just love it.
0: Yeah, can't believe it. Yeah. Can't believe it. I wish we could do something more than just spiel it every couple of weeks on the uh, the old podcast but here we are again want to get zoogs
1: yeah history lesson part one
0: so by my count Brent, i'm pretty sure that this is our 11th zoogs rift release do i have that right
1: well i'll run them down you can count while i run them down okay
0: okay okay
1: and uh it's our last one which is kind of depressing for me but
0: it's not his last release, though. You can no. still collect all of his non-SST releases. Don't worry. Yeah.
1: Well, if we're going to have our last Zoogs episode on the show, this was a good one to go out on. But So we've seen <laughs> Zoogs on episode 77, The Island of Living Puke from 1986, where we had Mr. California uh, Craig Unkrich on the show. Episode 88, Looser Than Clams, A Historical Retrospective, Greatest Hits Volume 1, also 1986. Episode 99, Water, from 1987, with E. Bentley Mm O'Brien on the show. Episode 120, Ipecac, from originally 1984, reissued 1987, where we had Mark Myler on. 121, Interim Resurgence, from 1985, reissued in 87, also with Mark as a guest. 122, Amputees in Limbo, released in 1985, reissued in 1987. 123, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, (laughs) 1979, reissued 1987, where we had John Truby on. Mm -hmm. Episode 137, Water 2, At a Safe Distance, 1987, also with Mr. California, Craig Unkrich. Episode 151, Scott Colby, Slide of Hand from 1987, uh, with, of course, Scott Colby, uh, who moved to L.A. with Zug's Rift and played in his early group Zobus. Ah,
0: So I didn't count Scott Colby. Good catch.
1: You kind of have ca- to. Zoogs is all over that record. And yeah,
0: good it. catch, man. And that's a great record.
1: Yep. Uh, episode 174, Son of Puke, 1987, where we had Laura Rift on as a guest.
0: Ah, yes, Lady Rift. <laughs>
1: 184, non-entity, Water 3, fan Black Data from 1988 with Willie Lappin as a guest. And 2.11, Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans, 1988.
0: Wow, okay, so that's 12. Yeah. That's 12. So this is 13. Wow.
1: Yeah, probably some other releases in there that have Zugs on them, or that he played on. Uh, But those are the main ones. Easily the most derided artist, I would say, in the entire SST catalog. And in my opinion, one of the most misunderstood.
0: Yeah, for sure. Other than perhaps Greg In, Yeah. The mo- the most derided, yeah. for sure. Okay,
1: fair point. Yeah. yeah. So Zoogs had a contentious relationship with S- SST and everybody really that he was involved with likely from a business <laughs> standpoint. Um, he really felt his albums weren't properly promoted and more importantly that he that he was owed money may be true. I'm I'm sure it was true. I would submit by all accounts, he also had a wholly unrealistic expectation. Um, just like flat out refusing to get a a straight job and holding out for what he always wanted, which was to have, um, his music accepted and, and to make a living off of it, which was just never going to happen. Um, I mean, if you were, if you were counting when I, ran down the releases, SST put out eight Zoogs Rift related releases in 1987 alone. And I can't imagine there was a bidding war among indie labels for that opportunity. Um, and in fact, Ginn and SST took a ton of shit and still do for having Zoogs on their label. And, and I, I, although I'm sure they probably relished in it back in the day.
0: Yeah, probably. You know, every now and then online, on some of the threads that I follow, some people are starting to give Zugs more love than they had like maybe four or five years ago, which is good. Yeah. Well, Hey man, like a
1: lot of the people that you see shitting on Zoogs, like just know the name, right? So yeah, they, they've never even heard they've it. Never even heard it. Yeah. At the start of 1988, Zoogs was kind of riding high. He had a crack band of shitheads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they toured hall, uh, Holland, Germany, Austria, and Denmark playing to appreciative crowds. Um, side one of Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans is made up of recordings from these shows. Um, the band on that tour was Zug's Rift on lead guitar and vocals, John Truby on guitar, Richie Haas on drums, Willie Lappin on bass, Toby Holmes on trombone, and Rocky Howard on accordion. That's the exact same lineup as Non-Entity. Uh, when they got back, Rocky and John Truby leave, Richie moves over to Vibes, and Tom Brown takes over on drums. And that's the lineup that um, recorded the studio side of Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans. And it's that lineup, Zug's Rift, Willie Lappin, Richie Haas, Tom Brown, and along with uh, kind of in it, off, on again, off again, uh, keyboardist, synth player, Jonathan Mako Sharkey, that recorded this album.
0: Rest in peace. Yeah.
1: Whoa, hey, like rest in peace, all of those people, except, except for uh, Willie. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, we, we've referenced Zugs' autobiography, which he wrote in 1989, Clams in a Glass, multiple times. And I'm going to do it one more time here on the show. So I'm going to read to you, Ryan, from Clams in a, in a Glass. Are you ready? I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. This is following the tour. As the year went on, I began having business problems with SST. Shocker. Um, <laughs> they had some major financial setbacks due to a few of their major distrib- distributors going out of business and had to rethink their survival game plan. Their decisions to rechannel money that was supposed to go to me left me in very bad financial straits. Earlier in the year, unable to meet our overwhelming debts, Laura and I had declared personal bankruptcy. Now, with us SST unable to honor our agreements, Laura and I were in financial deep water once again, with no bailout. By the fall season, money was worse than tight. It was practically non-existent. Still, I managed to get side two of Cretans completed and handed the album into SST for intended release at the end of the year. One by one, my relationships with the people around me got very weird and strained. My devotion to object- objectivism left me in an uncomfortable position, being surrounded by partiers, druggie, lazy th- druggies, lazy thinkers, and socialists. With my tons of weight back and feeling more and more alienated from the world around me, I began to plan even more necessary changes that needed to be made. It's sub- in September, I n- announced that I was taking a six-month sabbatical from the band To fully concentrate on my own self-developed weight loss program, do or die. As 1988 came to a close, uncertainty prevailed. Finances were bad, my weight was back up to 330 pounds, my health was failing, my personal and business relationships were unsteady and insecure, and the future of my musical career uncertain. With 10 albums now under my belt with compact discs appearing to be the wave of the future I had no idea whatsoever what weird shit was in store for me in 1989. And so, as I end this book I will look at the positive side of my career and the possibilities for the future. My son Aaron is almost 6 years old now and is going to school. He's smart, healthy and a real good kid. He's gonna move mountains when he grows up, you just wait and see. I've continued my philosophical education, studying and trying to grasp the teachings of Ayn Rand. She had it pretty together, and I'm trying like hell to benefit from her writing. As time goes on, my mind still grows. Uh, He's talking about his weight loss uh, program um, and kind of his his plans for the future. And then here's a postscript. This was added to the edition in uh, January of 1991. He says, after the European tour of nineteen eighty eight, things basically began to fall apart. SST was having financial problems, and they were going back on their agreements with their artists. I as I was reimbursed only twenty percent of what I was contractually promised to record, murdering Hell's Happy Cretans, and irreparable bad relations between Greg Ginn and myself ensued. In 1989, totally disgusted, I handed over four albums worth of finished material to SST, which they released spread out over various vinyl compact disc and cassette formats as the torment project. After further mistreatment, I angrily left the label and temporarily folded the band for the remainder of that year. We were supposed to tour Europe again that fall, 1989, but SST's Booking agency Global essentially botched the job through bad attitude and indifference and the tour plans were delayed. By the end of the year, Global had closed up shop completely and with a pile of dissatisfied bands threatening legal action against them, SST Records was hanging on by a thread. I have a few other documents here, Ryan, that were were sent to me. (laughs) So check this out. So this is titled Important Announcement. From the office of Zugs Riffs Thalidomide Productions, and it's dated eight twenty six eighty eight. As of Thursday, August twenty fifth, I am no longer affiliated with SST Records. In addition to th- treating me disrespectfully, they blatantly refuse to honor our written contractual and personal agreements. So I've decided to leave the label. For those of you who know me personally and have been sharing my discomfort and uncertainty over the past five months, this will come as no surprise ironically this comes at a bad time as i've just finished recording and mixing the master tapes for my 10th album Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans which contains live concert material recorded on stage in Holland last May as well as a number of great new studio recordings i will be shopping these completed masters around to other labels now so if any of you know of any independent label who would be interested in releasing it by all means have them contact me i'm open to discussion i'm also looking for a new personal manager if any of you Zooks Risk fans have the interest and confidence to join forces, drop me a line and we'll discuss it. I need someone I can trust who wants to be a part of keeping the project going and growing. If you know anyone who fits the bill, drag their ass over to a phone and have them call me. And he lists his phone number. One way or another, I will continue to work at making good music, releasing interesting albums, and putting on interesting shows, regardless of irrational adversity. Life goes on. Zoog's Rift. So that was sent in, Ryan, by Craig Unkrich, Mr. California. Um, yep. As he points out, it was written prior to the recording and release of Torment. And then he also sent this in. He goes, um, this is Zoog's retirement announcement, oddly without a date. The plan was to quit in the spirit of Ayn Rand's novel Atlas Shrugged, and that mood of rebellion can be heard on, among other places, the opening track Hi Mama Home on this torment record. So, mm-hmm. this is Zug's retirement announcement, uh, like he says, with no date. It, there's a lengthy quote here from Ayn Rand, which I won't subject anybody to. Um, and then Zug starts I am taking this time to announce my retirement from the rock music business and, in fact, my personal strike against the insanity of the world that you create and support. I'm not interested in making this a long sermon. It's three pages. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll explain it briefly and that will be the end of it. There are three basic reasons for my withdrawal from public actions. Social. And then he goes on to talk about, um, the decay and the intellectual activity of it, of, uh, participants in music. Um, how consumers are poorly educated. He says, uh, My music and ideas are almost totally lost in the endless outflow of self-destructive garbage, and it tears me up to witness their monumental success while I can't even pay my rent. You want shit, you get shit. Wallow in it. Uh, And then business is another reason he's retiring. Um, Twice this year I've had major tour plans thwarted by the uncaring, inept actions of individuals whom I was encouraged to trust. And then personal. By disbanding my musical operations, I give myself several much-needed opportunities to pursue important goals without distractions. And then he he ends it with, I leave you with my usual messages. Read Ayn Rand. Stop supporting the enemy, assuming you even know or care who the enemy is. And think more, party less. So there's Zugs' retirement announcement. I'd agree that that definitely resonates in the first track of this record. Oh, yeah. So the four albums that he of recorded material that he mentions in his in Clams in a Glass a slight exaggeration but not much. So the CD version of Torment has six extra tracks, um, and a few of them are quite long. Yeah. The LP version has twelve, uh, and it's about thirty-five to 40, forty minutes long. You know, of a length of a standard length LP. Uh, the CD. With the six extra tracks, is 18 tracks long. It's about an hour and 14 minutes in total length, the CD. So there's basically two, two records right there. The cassette version uh, has all of the LP tracks and three tracks that are not on the CD that total 45 minutes in length, those three tracks. So if you total all that up, it's two hours worth of music easily. Uh, so closer to three albums probably if he if he was to spread it all out anyway you slice it it's an insane music dump <laughs> considering he was leaving the label uh, i doubt he was serious about retiring well he may have been but he uh, he you know he obviously didn't no um possibly he just wanted to get all of this stuff out there when he was thinking about retiring it's not the first time he's retired going all the way back to his early days, he talked about, remember when he burned all his he art? Burnt all,
0: Yeah, he, and he burnt all his Zobis stuff <laughs> yeah. too, didn't he? Right, Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, but Zooks was nothing if not prolific. So for more on the musical insanity contained in all of this music, all two hours of it, let's get to these tracks, Ryan. History Lesson, Part 2. So this was recorded in June of 1989 at Trigon, Uh, Records Studios, Canoga Park. We've seen almost all of his stuff was recorded at Trigon, or a lot of it.
0: Mark Mylar.
1: Yeah. Engineered by Mark, um, uh, and it says on the liner notes, who is well on his way to going insane and falling into the abyss. (laughs) (laughs) Which reminds me of this uh, Jeff Drake book that I'm reading from the Joneses that came out on Hozak, Guilty, My Life in the Joneses, a, a heroin addict, a bank robber, and a federal inmate. He mentions Mark and Trigon. They released their 1989 12-inch EP, Tits and Champagne, on the Trigon label.
0: Oh, no way. Yep.
1: The liner notes say, The LP, cassette, and CD versions of this Torment project all contain different material, mixes versions from each other. And then he says, A sneaky marketing ploy, but it's a good way to get a lot of new material out at one time and maybe even make a few extra bucks, which wouldn't hurt.
0: Yeah, not sure about that.
1: Yeah. So we'll start with the LP, track one, side one, Hi Mom, I'm Home. And uh, I got a lot of input from Willie Lappin on these tracks. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Lyrically, this might be the best of his, um, Zoogs' frustration rant type songs.
0: There's a lot of sarcasm and venom.
1: Yeah, we've it's, heard that we've heard this kind of stuff before where he just lays it all his frustrations out on a on a song.
0: It's not even really singing. Hey, it's just kind of it's just a rant.
1: Yeah. If I can't pay my bills, I'll know it was the will of the people. It's not that I haven't tried, but there's a limit to my patience. I was I was listening to this amazing uh, bootleg that I've mentioned before that is from this era, uh, live on KXLU on the Brain Cookies show. At one point, like he's taking calls into the show and this, this guy phones in and he's kind of giving Zoogs a hard time for complaining about being broke and kind of saying like, you should expect it considering how uncommercial your music is. Right. And Zoog just goes, yep, I'm in a real bind. (laughs) 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 To, To have it tough is what I've chosen. He goes, I don't want a day job. I used to do that and I cannot bring myself to spend my time every day doing things I don't believe in and that, that I don't care about. And they do a great version of this song and most of this album actually on that, that live, that uh, live on KXLU. I, I wish Laura would, would release it. It's uh, it's really great.
0: Who can't relate to Zoogs though? I mean, how many of us have a day job where you can you really care about everything you do all the time in your day job. That's, that's the exception. Come on.
1: Oh, you know how many time I've times I've sent to my friend Jason at work, dude, I just want to work on my podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Like at work, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. The next track is torment. Uh, here's what Willie said four instruments playing in a round. It's four eight count bars, switching parts, each four bars bar section, and then starting at the beginning again. In my case, with the bass part, I have a structured part that I wrote for three of the sections, and then the fourth section is free form, which you can definitely hear when you Yeah uh, when you when you listen to it. John's Sharky sort of fiddled with different synth sounds throughout. His his John's synth sounds kind of dominate this song really. Um Willie says, Tom Brown really made Torment happen because he was so steady and driving. It became one of my favorite live songs because it cooks along like a machine. I always thought of it a little like 16 Shells from a 30-odd-6. Tom Waits' incredible song on Swordfish mm. Trombone. And then, and then Willie says, insert typical Beefheart beef reference here. And if you, you haven't heard the live album that, that came after this, Europe 1990, you should definitely check that out. Uh this song and many of the others from from this album are on it, and um it's cool what they do with it live. Willie is just all over the neck on his fretless uh definitely some less claypool vibes um doing rounds was definitely a Zugs rift staple. We've seen these these types of songs on other albums,
0: yeah, Willie is definitely the centerpiece on this song for me,
1: yeah, but John Sharkey's synth sound is is truly tormented. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, track three, Dead Planet Earth. I forgot to mention, for Hi Mom, I'm Home, at the beginning of that song, where Zugs is going, God damn it, God damn it, and you hear a woman go, that's no way to talk. That's Paige Lappin, Willie's wife. And uh, Willie told me she had never been on a recording before, and Zugs' riff needed this one line, so he asked her to come to the studio to record it. She was very nervous, but uh, one of Zugs' major attributes as a producer was an ability to make people feel comfortable during recording, and he made it easy for her. She still comments on, on it to this day when the topic comes up. So why am I talking about Paige now? Well, she's on this song as well. Um, here's what Willie told me about Dead Planet Earth. Uh, Paige and I are both fans of African music and Afrobeat, so we have a number of African percussion instruments. Yep. Zoogs asked me to bring them to the studio so each of us could use one or more in the recording of this track. I brought a number of shakers, a talking drum, and the rain drum. Zug's had a double-sided jimbe drum and some Tibetan finger cymbals, which I think we've heard before on a Zug's album, actually, and some congas, which he possibly borrowed from M. Siegel of Paper Bag. I think we cut the percussion first, and Zug's rift put his guitar track on second. So that's what Willie said about Dead Planet Earth. Um, Zooks definitely liked to put more avant-garde stuff like this on his albums. Um, He would have hated to hear hear this if he was alive to hear it, but you could definitely hear something like this on Trout Mask Replica.
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
1: Including his guitar playing, which is actually, it's quite melodic if you really listen to it on this song.
0: Yeah. I definitely got some... African percussion vibes for sure listening to this one I mean I didn't I didn't pick out those I kind of was thinking the that rain instrument yeah it kind of sounded like shells or it sounds like those I don't know what they're I don't know how to pronounce it I want to say it's like a shaker or Shakari. it's like a it looks like a juju no 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 <laughs> it's it's like a it's like a it's shaped like the bottom part of a drum almost like a jug and then it's got a net around it with some beads and you shake that Hmm. shakari or shakare something like that definitely sounded like that i don't know i thought it was cool i and i didn't necessarily get beef vibes but i can see why
1: they should have used a mcdonald's cup with a straw (laughs) on this one (laughs) okay the next track um side one track four naked on the mountain looking at the sea here's willie i never knew what to make of this type of song, when Zugzrift brought them in to rehearsals, he rarely introduced the lyrics to us or the melody in his first presentation. So I didn't know if it was supposed to be heavy or light. I think I was thinking Paul McCartney when I came up with the bass line on, or the sound of the bass, and uh, we know Zeus was a was a fan of the Beatles and, Beatles, and Wings, yeah, yeah. Uh, side. So the side two of the Son of Puke record, the the Transients bootleg, I think, is all <laughs> Beatles and Wings songs. If I'm remembering right, yeah. Uh, Willie goes on. Zoogs most likely suggested this song would be, this would be a song of epic proportions. Uh, except for a little intonation issues here and there on my part, it came out pretty good. You know, like we've heard a few songs like this, especially on later Zoogs records, like When My Ship Rolls In or Locked Out. Uh, or going all the way back to Son of Puke, a very special song for a very special, special young lady. He wasn't afraid to, to write a pop song, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, of course, Zoog's riff style. Um, I, I love the part where he goes, and as I gaze out at the sea, maybe I'll pick up my guitar and then peels off a lick. <laughs> <It's> so cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Definitely some 80s synth going on on this track, too.
1: Yeah. And then we're... Uh, we're back with the Secret Marines. This one's Secret, Secret Marines Sex Kitten Beach Party. Of course it is. Yep. By my count, this is the sixth Secret Marines song we've seen on the show. Uh, and it's not the last. It's the last we'll see. But there's more Secret Marines on his post-SST albums. Um, here's Willie. Again, we rarely heard what the vocal was going to be in advance of recording. So I think of this as an instrumental track first. Zug's Rift mm. w- would teach us very specific parts for each section, taking it one section at a time. I believe this took many days to learn as each section got pieced to the previous section on a succeeding rehearsal, which definitely makes sense. This song's pretty complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, you can. I'm not sure you can hear it being pieced together, but I can see why.
1: Yeah. He goes on, we would learn one section rehearse other songs, and then come back to it and add a section when the first was sounding okay. I do remember that the warping and weirdness of the halftime section came about after we were proficient with the whole piece. Tom and I would begin goofing around with it, making it weirder, and then Zugs and Sharky would join in. We used to have a lot of fun with this section on stage live. I don't think we ever performed it with vocals live. It was just too difficult for Zooks to try and recite the lyrics while playing uh, mm. that mean guitar part. When Richie joined the band and John left, Richie absolutely killed it using vibes. Um, you can hear a, a killer instro version of this on the Europe 1990 record. Um, it was with John Sharkey on that tour, not Richie. And I'm also told that this is one of the tracks where the lyrics are different on LP, um, on the LP version of of this record. Craig Unkrich confirmed it. Apparently there are, are possibly others with different mixes and or lyrics on the LP. Uh, I just listened to the CD. I don't have the LP, so maybe some li- listeners can confirm that for us too. And I don't know about the cassette version either. I I did look around to see if any of the LP tracks were on YouTube or anything like that, but I think they're all sourced from the CD. And there's also some amazing footage on YouTube um, of them doing this song from uh, a club in Germany on that European tour that people should check out. This song is just totally insane, both lyrically and musically. It would definitely be incredibly uh, difficult to play, Sounds like you can hear Mark Myler's clarinet in the mix at one point. Lyrically, it's right in line with the other Secret Marine songs, just a horrifying tale from the mind of <laughs> the liquid Mo Ammo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> So much paranoia.
1: Yeah. Um, and then we have some glitches, kind of, and it goes straight into, this town sucks. Um, Zoog's just kind of going haywire on his T-bar guitar.
0: Yeah, it's a total shred session on this instro chaos yeah, Willie told me
1: this town sucks and you, United We Fall were the type of filler that Zoogs would come in and just say, "Tom, start the beat," and everyone would play in in key X for 2 minutes. And that's how that's how they'd compose these kinds of songs. Okay, then we're flipping the record over and we've got United We Fall. Here's Willie again. I remember we mic'd everything up instead of DI, and he had us turn the amps up as loud as we could. That's for this song, United We Fall. Zoogs' <laughs> guitar is definitely overdriven here. Uh, cool panning with that extremely overdriven tone. Yeah, there's definitely some fader knob action going on. Yep. And then we've got uh, a Tim Buckley cover, Sweet Surrender. We know Zoogs was definitely a fan. He covered Tim's Look at the Fool on Non-Entity and also uh, a lot, live version of it on Murdering Hell's Happy Cretins. Tim's original is on his 1972 album, Greetings from L.A., probably his most well-known album. His version, the original, is just a funky R&B track with horns. Um, there's also a really cool 73 live recording called um, Honeyman that came out in 1995. That's really great that I was checking out this week. I'm not going to get too into Tim Buckley. I'm sure we, we did on non Just an amazing talent, um, underappreciated in his time. Mm -hmm. His life was unfortunately cut short at the age of 28 uh, after a a tragic ending. Um, uh, Zoogs and the Shitheads recorded two versions of this, a slow one that's on this LP and then a faster one that's on the CD as a bonus track. Here's Willie. I loved the slow version, it just seemed to develop as we rehearsed it in a way that a pop song should. It has dynamics, and it builds into a climax, and then comes down for the verses again. I don't remember why we tried a faster version, but it just didn't feel as powerful. Funny, we ended up playing the fast version live on tour, and you can hear that on, on Europe 1990. Uh, for me, Zugs' solo that close out, closes out the final two minutes of the song is just a total epic. His leads were definitely inspired by Frank Zappa, both the guitar tone, uh, but also the playing. Frank Zappa, he didn't bend a lot of notes if you listen to his soloing, mm-hmm. and uh, Zugs doesn't either. He he rarely does bends. Okay, then we've got Meet Me at Stinkies. Uh, this track features the vocal stylings of one Jonathan Mako Sharky, rest in peace, this is like a bad lounge band, <laughs> like you know it's supposed to be. I think um, it's supposed to be at a bar called Stinky's. I'm assuming live.
0: Yeah, it's like a it's like a piano rag yeah. tune or something like that.
1: Willie told me he thinks the crowd noise was created in the studio by the band members. He 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 told me an interesting story. He goes. John was not always a fan of Zugs' use of bathroom humor, so he refused to sing the last line of the song. It goes, I'll be wearing a hat that says IBM, so meet me at Stinky's before I-B-M, as in <laughs> bowel movement.
0: <laughs> John, oh my God.
1: He, he goes, John didn't want to sing something that childish, but Zug said if he didn't sing that the lyrics, he wouldn't let him sing the song at all which is why he intentionally garbled like the last line of the song. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Huh.
1: Uh, the next song is Defecation Rainbow. Here's Willie. I wasn't in the studio when this was cut. It sounds like something Zoogs would do playing uh, with guitar multi-tracks. Probably mostly done alone with Mark Myler engineering. I'm sure he didn't think of it as filler. Nothing was really filler but you can tell when he wanted a filler like track because it is always a round number with regard to time he would say something like we need a 2 minute track here and would try and we would try and hit the mark i remember one time when we were recording at arthur barrow's studio we had a very cool funk jam that we wanted to put on tape and zook's told arthur to knock on the window and cut us off at 10 minutes About 17 minutes in, Zoos and I looked at each other, and then we both looked in the little window to the control room. Arthur was smoking a joint, grooving to the music, and laughing with someone completely oblivious to the time. This one sounds exactly like what Willie described for sure, and I think it sets us up nicely for the next track, Bad Risk, which is definitely a highlight on the album, a favorite of Willie's as well. Um, yeah. They do a killer live version of this on Europe nineteen ninety. Like some of his other lyrics, some of these sound like things that were possibly said to Zoogs at some point. Um,
0: and he's li- he's like spitting them back yeah. at the person who said it to them, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Sharky's keys are are great. Willie is just all over that neck on, on his fretless on this one.
0: One of the most rockingest tunes, for sure. Yeah. On the just the the proper final release.
1: Yep. And then straight into kind of, they're kind of one track, basically. Popcorn scumbaggo.
0: Time for for some cowbell and some sax.
1: Yep. Willie calls it a jam vamp at the end of Bad Risk that they didn't do when they performed it live. Mark Myler with uh, some great double track tenor sax on this one. Just a perfect way to end the LP version. I think.
0: Yeah. No, it, you could have ended it there. Yep. But he did not.
1: Yeah. So we'll get into these CD bonus tracks here, which are basically like a whole second album. Um, you've got Candy Girl, a cover of the four seasons. Um, it was a hit single for them in 1963. It reached number three on the Billboard charts, written by songwriter Larry Santens, uh, and not by Bob Gaudio or Bob Crew, who... Uh, were the primary songwriters for the the group The Four Seasons, aka Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. I guess I should say, mm, right. F- formed in Newark, New Jersey in 1960. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990. Here's Willie. I hated the Four Seasons. Fuck Frankie Valli. Fuck the Four Seasons. Fuck the Sopranos. <laughs> I don't know. Ouch. I don't know why the Sopranos got thrown in there.
0: Well, Frankie Valli is like the soundtrack for a number of episodes.
1: Yeah. Funny. This is the second four season song I ended up doing in my career. Zoogs liked the melody for guitar and he knew that I thought it was sicken- sickeningly sweet. So he made me do it. I think he went guitar crazy at the end because I bitched about the song. So he decided to put the Zoogs riff twist on it. So I'm with Willie. Like I listened to the original and it's pretty fucking brutal. Um, super high falsetto lead vocal. Um, this is an instrumental take on the song with Zoogs playing the vocal melody Davy Allen style. Just all single notes with, definitely with a fuzz box. And then we've got the next song. It's a medley, Peripheral Peripheral Darkness slash Boogie Woogie Waltz and it's 14 and a half minutes long.
0: Yeah, awesome track for me. Yeah.
1: Uh, here's Willie. The only thing planned on this was the initial drum feel. Note it matches the weather report drum feel and weather report is a, a, mm. a fusion group. Um, yeah. Jacko. Yep. Yeah. Uh, also the two riffs were planned. The one ZOOG's riff wrote, that's the darkness riff. And then the one Joe Zwanil wrote, that's the, that's the waltz part. And uh, he was the uh, keyboardist in uh, Weather Report. He also played mm-hmm. with Miles Davis. So I don't know what that what Willie means by that. If they actually took that, lifted that part directly from a Weather Report song.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know Weather Report very well, but it wouldn't be the first time that you basically kind of pinch a theme yeah. from another jazz band and then you just ape on it and groove on it. But uh, I, I love this track. This is this is the type of track that people need to hear who write zoogs off and his band. Cause they were just amazing players. It's, it's just, you know, it's very hard to overcome the zoogs sometimes, you know, or to see past the like the full frontal zoogs, you know, if you're going to hear hi mom, I'm home as your first zoogs. And then only after you get to track 14, you're going to hear this sweet track, you know, you might not make it to track 14. Uh,
1: oh, I didn't listen to this once this week in one sitting, that's for sure. It's a <laughs> lot. Um, Willie said, we rehearsed it as a jam around these two motifs since they lay over each other. Uh, probably did it in one take. This became a centerpiece of the Europe 1990 tour. It's on the LP version of Europe 1990, which I don't have. I've just been listening to it digitally all, all week. So, unfortunately, unless you have the LP, probably can't hear it. Um, he says, it became a very tight jam, and for me, it was like musical nirvana. Zugs and I were so in sync that we would switch parts without looking at each other, just by feel. Like the two kind of main lines they would they would switch. Yeah. Um, and you can definitely hear them weaving in and out of those two themes. Um Unfortunately, this is not on the streaming version of Torment. For some reason, uh, Laura decided to leave it off. And I checked, you can't find it on YouTube either. So to your point, Ryan, of of people needing to hear this, they have to have the CD version if they want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next one is Low Life. Uh, This track features our old pal Craig, Mr. California Unkrich on keys. Willie told me, I think Zugs had Craig do low life, both because Craig was better at classical type of feel, and also because Craig had been absent from our scene for a while, and Zugs wanted to give him a reason to come back. So here's what Craig told me on about low life. The precursor to low life. I was handed the song Eyes of Body Rama, an improvisation by Zoogs' Rift on T-bar guitar, about four minutes long, which was recorded around 1985. It was included on the release of Amputees, deliberately distorted beyond recognition, at least on the vinyl version. I think the only place you can hear a clean version is on, of the song is on the SST cassette reissue of Amputees. He wanted me to learn it on solo piano by listening to the original improvisation. Nothing was charted. I liken it somewhat to the idea of the band learning Sunday brunch with Faud Ramses from Ipecac where that band was given a similar challenge. The difference is that Sunday Brunch is almost completely atonal, and Bodyrama is pretty musical. There is more effort in this song than just about anything I have ever done musically. During my weeks of preparation, Zo's never asked to hear what it sounded like. I just showed up for the recording session. Uh, I used Mark Myler's Mammoth Korg synthesizer that had a great acoustic piano sound. The fact that no one had heard me play the song except myself always playing along with the tape of Zoogs. But me alone, absent any other instruments, it sounded pretty awful. There was even talk of excluding it from the record, but it was too late, as all the artwork had been completed. Zoogs turned it into sort of a musical round. There were multiple takes with Zoogs, instructing Mark not to discard any of them. So with two or three of the takes, he turned it into something listenable. So there you go, that's uh, the song Low Life. Um, It's an interesting track, Zeus's lyrics are, are pretty great, and, and Craig just pounding this out on the keys. And it does sound like an actual piano, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Don't mind me. I'm just part of the scenery. An unreal background image in your blind world. And when I speak, the sounds merely blend in with the noise of this turning planet falling on your deaf ears. Okay, track 16, Let a Man Come In and Eat the Popcorn, part 47 and 93. hmm I assume that's a bit of a Dylan reference he would put numbers like that in his song titles like Rainy Day Women number 12 and 35 oh, for example.
0: That's J- that's a James Brown reference man. You, you think know so? that? Oh, for sure. So Well, James, I know
1: I know he's doing James Brown in this song, but
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, he's doing like lots of good gods and ha and he's saying, you know, Fred. I I assume that's like Fred Wesley. It's a definite call and response like James Brown and Bobby Bird on all those classic records, but James Brown released a song right called the popcorn. Um, it was on his 25th album uh, 1969 King records. The popcorn is a dance and he also, it was originally as a single low down popcorn. And then also from 1969, let a man come in and do the popcorn part one. And then he also did part two, let a man come in and do the popcorn. And then on the 1970 record, it's a new day. So let a man come in. He also did the song, let a man come in and do the popcorn. There you go. (laughs) And, And so JB did like 10 popcorn songs. And there's a few that are like part one and part two type thing. So, and just with his, the way that he's sounding like James, I think it's more James than Dylan, but why not?
1: Both? No, no, you're you're right. That's what it is for sure. Because he's, yeah. you know. Good God! Yeah, uh, Fred. Lots of Zougsisms too, like, uh, you know, "Gimme dollar."
0: <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> Gimme dollar. Gimme dollar. Yeah,
1: he keeps saying that over and over. This song's like eight minutes long too, and yeah. uh, pretty obnoxious at times. But I love it. Here's what Willie said. Sheesh, Zoogs was bringing a lot of James Brown type of funk feel into rehearsals. This is his homage to his hero. We ended up using the hit me part on tour, but I don't think the three of us, John, Tom, and I, ever got the timing that the JBs did for James Brown. No. Yep. Tom and I got much better at getting a funky beat down later on other recordings. And here he's talking about the start of the song. Well, Goddamn was something Tom said all the time, as well as, I'm ready. So Zugs wanted to get him on tape doing that. The jive talk was scripted by Zoogs. We each had parts to say. I think Fred and Jimmy may be referenced, references to James Brown calling out Fred Wesley, the trombonist, and Jimmy yep. Nolan on guitar in totally. his songs. Yep. Brown would call for Maceo Parker, too, but that might have been too obvious for Zugs. So there you go. You're, you're spot on with with your research there, Ryan.
0: Too much popcorn.
1: Yep. Okay, then we've got Sweet Surrender number two. This is the faster version. Still, it's over six minutes long. They're both good, uh, but I think Zoogs picked the right one for the main album. Although they do tear it up on this one too. Another fret yep. melter from Zooks. Yeah, man. And then we've got to let let a man come in and eat the popcorn reprise. <laughs> Good God. Yeah, it literally just fades back in where the previous one faded out and it's just another two minutes. Wow. Uh, Patterson, New Jersey gets a shout out and that's uh, Zug's hometown.
0: There you go. Just like, Augusta GA!
1: Yeah. So that's the CD, Ryan. And then we've got the cassette. So uh, here's from the cassette liner notes. Uh, side B included exclusive, exclusively on this cassette version of Torment. The entire United We Fall proposed LP project previously unreleased. So I guess this was going to be its own LP at one point. "United We" It was going to be called United We Fall. It's three songs. Scumbag Rebozo, which is 22 minutes long. Scumbag Mofungo, which is eight and a half minutes long. And then Scumbag Au Natural, <laughs> which is 14 minutes long. Uh... It says these three recordings were improvised by Zug's Rift and his Amazing Shitheads and recorded in, de- in December 1988 at Makeshift Studios in Borneo, finalized at Trigon.
0: So note, of course, that the last track on the LP or track 12 on the CD is Popcorn Scumbago. Yep. <laughs> and we have two Let a Man Eat the Popcorn tracks as as bonus tracks on the CD. And now we're into the scumbag tracks.
1: Yeah. So this is what Willie told me about these cassette tracks. He said, I don't recall if the material that made it on the cassette was intended for an album called United We Fall. I think he may have been planning something like that. I don't remember too much about those three songs. He put that in quotation marks. I can tell you this, when John Sharkey rejoined up with Zoobs, this time we did some jamming to get the feels of each other. It was definitely before we cut Torment. The first two tracks have me on my 1964 Fender Jazz, uh, my favorite bass, you can hear the growl that is classic in that bass, and not my overwater fretless, and you can definitely hear that when you listen to yeah.
0: these. Yeah, it's different. Like It's different sound from the uh, the Torment track yeah. itself, right? For sure.
1: I am playing the fretless on the third track. They are definitely jams. I recall us asking about writing credits, and Zugs would say something about how it was on an album. We all agreed he wrote it. This never bothered me because he was very generous on stage with credit to the band members and solo time, plus there was never any money to be made in airplay of those tracks. I don't remember anyone setting up mics or a mixing board, but I have little doubt that they were recorded in Zoog's upstairs bedroom in his apartment where we rehearsed a lot of the Torment material. I feel I can sa- I can safely say this because of the way the drums, especially the kick drum, is muted. Zug's had neighbors on one side so we would... Try to keep the volume to a reasonable level. The guitar, bass, and keyboards sound like they were going through amplifiers, not a mixing board. Upon listening after all of these years, there are some really good parts and some really bad and boring parts. I can hear Zoog's quote previous songs within some of his solos. Mm. I think Halloween was in there somewhere. And then he just says, Borneo. Haha. <laughs> so
0: It's an uh, odd it's an odd groove, this first one, anyways.
1: Yeah, I like. So I should say, I got these tracks from John Butler, a friend of the pod who's a Zoogs Rift super fan. He's helped us out along the way uh, with lots of Zoogs nugs and also uh, he was also collaborated with Zugs. They made the 1998 album Sanitized for Your Protection together. I couldn't find these anywhere online. I just checked, you know, to see if people would be able to, to listen to them. Couldn't find them. So unfortunately, People won't won't be able to hear these. To be honest, I mean, no, nobody's really missing too much. They're a neat listen once. I listened to them like four times this week, and that was like three times too many.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess not essential. Yeah. If you're do if you're doing the podcast and you're a Rift completist, check it out. Um, that's where I would. That's what I would say. You know, I don't have the cassette, and thankfully, we got that that assist to be able to check these tracks out. Interesting for me on how Zoogs is often referenced in the same breath as Zappa or Beefheart, you know, we've, we've often lamented that, but then also acknowledged that it's a legit reference and there's no shame in that either. Right. Yeah. Um, but these three tracks, scumbag, rebozo, scumbag, Mofungo, scumbag, O natural and me thinking about Zappa. I couldn't help but then also think about the John and Yoko album. Oh, yeah. Sometime in New York City, 1972, where on side four, Zappa, like, guests, right? It's like the Mothers of Invention with John and Yoko and the Plastic Ono Band or whatever. And they jam on the song Scumbag. And so I wonder if this has some sort of relation to that track from the John and Yoko side four with Zappa, Scumbag.
1: Yeah, well, you're probably right. It's improvised, so yeah. there's a connection there, and I guarantee you Zugs was into that.
0: Yeah, yep. I want, I wonder, hey?
1: Yep. Uh, so these tracks total 45 minutes, and the entire LP is on side one. So this was a long-ass tape for a commercial <laughs> release. It's like Injustice for All or something like that. Like Tapes this long usually didn't last. A super yeah. long time. They usually cropped out.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. Did, you ever have, did you ever have to repair any cassettes? Oh, with all like, the time. With yeah. like scotch tape, man? All the time. So you'd have yeah. to just cut her?
1: Yep. Take it open with a screwdriver and doctor it up. Brutal. Yep. The artwork, Ryan. So here's what, here's what Willie told me. I love the photos on this record, by the way. Um, here's what he said about the front cover, uh, which was taken by him. Uh, downstairs in his apartment. His living room had a desk that he worked on and he had some of his albums framed on the wall behind it.
0: Yeah, right.
1: That is the guitar road case he used on both the 1988 and 1990 tours. I think he put that piece of fabric on it to jazz it up, that little thing with tassels or whatever that you can see it's, there.
0: Yeah, it's got like a sash yeah. on the ha- on the handle. Yeah. Sweet.
1: Uh, The back cover was taken at a small carnival somewhere in the San Fernando Valley, just north of Hollywood, which is the valley where he and I lived at the time. I remember Zoogs saying that we were all going to drive somewhere to take the album and uh, PR photos, but I don't think he planned on a carnival. I think he saw it, and at the last minute, we went there. I know he made someone go and get the cotton candy because he thought it would be a good fat man joke and shock everyone that he was eating that. (laughs) <laughs> if it hadn't been cotton candy, he might've had us buy some marshmallow peeps. And that, uh, photo was taken by Mark Mylar. Uh, the liner notes on the back are, I, I think it was maybe Laura who told us, but I can't remember that he, he, uh, intentionally liked to make his liner notes difficult to read. Yeah. Mission
0: accomplished.
1: Yeah. There are, this is probably the worst we've seen. There's been others that have been hard to read, but
0: this is probably the, the hardest, um, it's like a really real, it's like three point font and in pink yeah. on light gray. You cannot read these letters. Yeah.
1: Uh, production coordinator, Rich Ford, philosophical consultations, Laura J. Rift art layout by Zeus rift with special thanks to Patrick at SST. Additional thanks to cam Cameron, Jaomi and his trained weasels. Uh, more on that in a minute here. Um, cover photo photo Willie back cover photo Mark Myler there's a number for the Zugs Rift hotline and then he says and remember think more party less see you next year
0: just like in his retirement letter
1: yep so this uh, Cameron Jaomi thing he's talking about the photos that are inside the CD only uh, of like a stuffed squirrel is what it looks like to me (laughs) yeah I don't
0: know if it, yeah, maybe
1: a marmoset. Well, it's shooting hoops. So here's what, what Willie <laughs> yeah. told me about that. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> Willie said, I think the stuffed squirrel shooting a basketball may have been given to him by Cameron Jamie. Cameron was a friend of Zoogs and a fan of the band way before he became a famous artiste. He used to exhibit his masks and artwork at Bebop Records, a record store, music, spoken word, performance, and art space that hosted us and many SST artists owned by Richard Bruland, artist and soon to be also well-known. Zeus fucked around with it for a while at rehearsal and one day said it would be really cool to get Ginn and Dukowski in a photo with it and not, exp- not explain anything to them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah.
1: I vaguely remember driving down to SST with Zug so he could check, get a check and take some pictures. I'm pretty sure Zug's never explained it to them, and it was just an inside joke.
0: Well, it looks like Chuck is enjoying it way more than Greg.
1: Yeah, go figure. Um, I found an article from Art Forum magazine called uh, Minor Threat, the Art of Cameron Jamie. Um, and it talks about him being, he's from San Fernando Valley, he's uh, really into surrealism, uh, he was inspired by Blowfly and Sunra. Um, mm. When you can, when you read this article, and I would recommend reading it; it's really good. Um, you can definitely see that he and Zooks probably would have gotten along
0: really well. Yeah, the absurdist Dada-esque vibe would have been a huge connection for them. Yeah, there is uh one of the the squirrel hoop shots. Not only is there the one with uh, Gin and Dukowski. There's one right in front of Bebop Records. Yep. And then one, I think, in front of Rotten Ronnie's. That's what it looks like. Looks like Rotten Ronnie's. And then there's, out of the six photos, there's only one with a basketball net yeah, in it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew what this other one, this sign here, it looks like giant something. I can't read it, but it has frozen yogurt and donuts under the sign as well. So it it seems to be some sort of restaurant that they are superimposing this taxidermied uh, basketball shooting squirrel in front of on the first of the six photos.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, the last one we'll see of Zooks uh, on the show, but not his last album. He did not retire. Um, you can check out uh, his next few releases, uh, 1990's Nutritionally Sound, an album he did with Mark Myler on the Trigon label, uh, 1990s Warzone, music for obnoxious yuppie scum, and 1992's Villagers, which are both really great albums mm-hmm. uh, on German label Musical Tragedies. 1996's Five Billion Pinheads Can't Be Wrong, 1999's School for the Criminally Insane, uh, the one he did with John Butler, which we mentioned earlier. 2001's Born in the Wrong Universe. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Zook's passed away. Uh, other than Greg, he's the person I would want to have on the show as a guest more than anyone else for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure he would uh, spin a yarn for us or two.
1: Yeah. There is some dead wax on the LP, Ryan. Side one says, go fuck yourselves. And side B (laughs) says, especially you.
0: (laughs) Oh God. Of course. Yeah. Uh,
1: Good old zoogs. Ballot result. Yeah, man. Ballot result. Where do we go from here? I don't know. This I've probably said this every Zoogs episode, but this is might be my favorite Zoogs Rift album. That no way. You don't think so?
0: No. I don't think. Well, it's not mine. I mean, there are not many cohesive songs on it for two hours of music, man. Yeah. My favorite is Peripheral Darkness, Boogie Woogie Waltz, but I don't know if we're going to put a 14-minute track on. It is like, it's an amazing track. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, well, we can
1: put on whatever we want. I My favorites were Hi, Mom, I'm Home, but Naked on the Mountain Looking at the Sea, Secret Marine Sex Kitten Beach Party, and Bad <laughs> Risk.
0: <laughs> um, How about if we do Bad Risk Popcorn Scumbago?
1: Yeah, we can do that. Let's do that. Okay. okay. Hey, Ryan, thanks to Willie, Mark Myler, Craig Unkrich, John Butler, and... Uh, they all helped out with this episode and all the other guests we've had on our Zoogs episodes. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's been really fun getting into Zoogs. Um, if it's not for you, it's not for you, but people shouldn't just blindly write Zoogs off either.
0: Yeah. There's true, some true uh, artist, true artist, dedicated, visionary, frustrated artist. Yeah. And, and uh, there's some great stuff to check out for sure. It's too bad that he kind of gets, uh, derided. You know, it's also, when I think about Zoog's catalog, it's almost a shame that they put out so much all at once on SST. Like if it wasn't eight releases in one year, it might not have been so easy to write it off. Yeah. You know, it's, if you, if you heard it and you were kind of like, that's eh, not for me. And then seven more records come out. You're like, I'm not even. I'm not even gonna bother. Yeah. But if they staggered it a bit, people may have been a little bit more open. I don't know.
1: That was not SST style man.
0: No, no, nope. definitely not. Definitely not. And a big thanks again to all of our listeners who sent us their art to check out. Yeah, uh, that we talked about at the
1: at the start of the show. Yeah, so we need to take a little bit of a lifestyle pause here on our show, Ryan. I'm, we're not exactly sure when we when we're going to be back,
0: but we will be back with SST two fifty two negative land helter stupid. Yeah.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.